thank you for not avoiding coming tonight and watch us. Um, so yeah, so Colin picked avoidance for this week's topic. And I wonder why, because I, I kind of don't want to talk about this topic. Don't, I don't know why either. Okay. Um, well, I mean, is it really that we're looking at the obvious? And the obvious is, you know, when you sit there and you watch a politician being questioned, you know, that kind of thing where, you know, you get a politician questioned and uh, he's posed a direct question. And this question he's given or she's given or they're given Um we all see the way that they navigate the question. And we kind of go, well, he's not actually, or they're not actually answering the question at all, are they? You know, they're actually avoiding the whole subject matter and they're spinning it in a particular way. And we're outside of the situation and we can see it. And it's almost that we can see it. They're not quite being convincing enough. And there's something going on with, what they're saying what are they actually avoiding so we're observing and we're aware of it not being right and it's not direct it's not honest it's not accurate but i think the question for me is what if we don't see it you know what if we're not actually used to observing the interactions that are going on and we've always lived with something that is actually avoidant what is it and what is it about people that are avoidant and and as part of this where does this actually come from because is it employed as a strategy is it conscious or is it unconscious because i think and where does it actually come from because this there's, there's a couple of things involved for me on this one is that you've got the person that is avoidant and behaving in an avoidant way. And you've also got the other person which is actually subject to that avoidance. And for me, where is the awareness around all of this at the moment? Where, who's aware of what? How are they aware of it? And is it that what's happening is that it's used in an appropriate way? Or is it that what's happening is that it's being used in a way that, um, is very conscious and is actually there to sabotage the situation or to change the track of the situation. I'm wondering a number of things. One is that I'm wondering about it being a superpower because in a way, when we want to deal with something that we know about, we can put in place an avoidance strategy in order to help ourselves. In another way, um, avoidance strategies can be used to change the whole dynamic of a situation in another way they sabotage the hell out of us so i'm just trying to sort of you know i, I just keep hearing this word avoidance or they're being avoidant or this is and i want to kind of investigate it i want to ask you some questions because i know there's numbers of different classifications of avoidance and all people that are classified as avoidant and I'm just wondering, are we all avoidant in one which way, shape and form when we're looking at actually dealing with ourselves or having relationships with other people? Do you see what I mean? So that's where it comes from. It's it's actually of interest. And I'm I'm kind of interested in this, in this. Where does it, you know, how does it manifest? Who what what are other people's behaviors like? Is it is it really a bad thing? You know, because I think quite often we think that, you know, calling someone out and going, well, you're being avoidant, or you know, you're being you, you 
you know, it's it's like you watch the politician and you just kind of go, answer the question. <laughs> you know, it, it, what what's going on with this? So all through tonight, I'm going to be not answering your question, but act very, very convincingly at it. That's going to be my strategy. That's going to be my superpower. Okay. <laughs> and the thing is, if you can convince me, you know, then I, I, I'm I'm on board, completely on board. With that. I will try. I'll try to add my ass off. <laughs> one thing that's really quite good is what, what, how, how do we define avoidant? How do we sort of, what, what do we look at when, when something's avoidant? Because it, it's, you know, you're, it means that there's there's a there's something that's going on with someone that's avoidant. Can you explain some more? So it's very interesting. I guess when I search about avoidance, a lot of the time the definition that it gave me just talk about we're avoiding things. So it was kind of using the word to define itself, which is something that I really don't like doing or being taught not to do. Uh, the, the best definition I can come across is actually an attempt in minimizing or averting perceived threats dangers and or anxiety and I like that one because as I delve deeper deeper into my research anxiety and fear seems to come up a lot it, it seems to be a lot of the time and as for most of the situations and we have talked about this a few times already as well the actual threats the actual dangers much more inside our head than outside of our body mm. and that that seems to be a desire that we want to get away from situations that potentially can lead to that or remind us of those situations so that is kind of avoidance is also about preventing restraining circumventing departures dodging elusing escaping it's kind of the opposite of advancing towards the situation um opposite to arriving coming continuing staying a meeting mm-hmm. and and I find it an interesting concept because I don't know why maybe it's just the word itself that as I was doing the work on this webinar tonight's webinar I was actually procrastinating way more than usual I I went to think I did my laundry I did my grocery I did my food prepping and then I start meditating for bed and then I've gone to my bookshelf rearranging a lot of things and I I don't know why I think just the simple concept of avoidance I find quite difficult because that's something that I almost want to avoid so what, what I really liked is I, I I liked the 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 way that you sort of talked about averting perceived threats um averting perceived threats and this idea of anxiety and fear and for me, what that does is it is it if we take a, a scenario where someone is avoidant, it means that if we're in a situation where something there's an emotional trigger that has happened for someone, that would be a perceived threat. And that emotional trigger would create someone being avoidant. So let me give an example. Um, two people are speaking to someone earlier on today and really lovely lady and she's dating someone and the person that she's dating she um she turned around and said well I think it's about time we moved in together and we moved in and we lived together we've been dating for four or five years we should do this and he's been laying down numbers of different reasons and excuses not to move in you know like oh you know your daughter needs a space your grandchild needs a space this is happening that's happening there's always an excuse and always a drama for it not to happen 
And almost like the, the avoidance is a distraction technique, but it's hitting something quite deeply within this person, which is why they're creating this behavior. So I like the way that what you did is you, you described it as a to avert a perceived threat, because in a way, when we're going to expose ourselves, when we become vulnerable, you know, to commit to something, actually, it, it's a real threat. You have to face something. You have to step up to something. So in this scenario, I can see I really like the way that you defined it there. Um, so it becomes quite almost quite complex because unless we start to unravel it, we start to think that that person is being really considerate. Oh, you're thinking about my daughter. Oh, you're really considering about my granddaughter. Oh, you're really thinking about this. You're thinking about that because that's how they're positioning it. But actually what's happening is that there's an avoidance strategy that's being put in place. And that's the thing that interests me as a therapist is the way that we use smoke and mirrors, the way that we're almost convinced ourselves when we're doing it and we don't recognize deep down what is actually going on within us as part of it. So, of course, we're convinced that we're doing it. Oh, no, no, I'd be, you know, I'm just I'm not I'm just doing, I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing it for you. You know, we, we're convinced by it, but on the other side of it, do, does that make any sense? Yes, and we do it with ourselves a lot as well. Because, mm. you know, I've been working with a client recently who, at a quite young age, I think he's around 30s, 40s, and then been diagnosed with quite high stage of cancer. And it was very interesting how, how there was a, a lot of avoidance in having that detected and investigated as well because there was always a strategy of always oh, I'm too busy I can't possibly I can't possibly go to the hospital or see the doctor or oh I can't possibly be, be ill I'm just too busy at work it's just I'm not sleeping well eating well because of that and there's a lot of explanation I always almost say and I'm I think I'm kind of using it kindly instead of using the word excuses mm. um, to actually do the work, which is in this case to go to the hospital, go to see a doctor and just get it checked out, which hopefully it will be all fine. But sometimes, unfortunately, there's something wrong. But I think there's a mentality that if I don't go to find the answer, then it wouldn't happen to me. Like as if the, the, the pathology itself wouldn't exist in me or happen to me. And I find that very interesting as well. So this is linked directly to what you discussed with regard to fear and this idea of when I'm, and remember we defined fear and we did a whole thing on fear, which is fear is fear of losing what you've got right now, which means that actually what you've got right now, let's say your person with cancer is in a situation where deep down unconsciously, we actually know about something, you know, we know what, is happening with us quite a lot and we know that what we're going to go through but yet we suppress or deny or avoid all these different things and actually put ourselves in a position where what's happening is that rather than put our energy and because there's something about energy that you mentioned as well you put our energy into something else or procrastination is where we don't put our energy into the right thing so in a way, and I think I find this a lot with regard to diagnosis, especially when someone's in pain. And as a therapist, as you have been, is you're, you're very involved with people and they come to you and quite often they'll come to you in a way like, 
oh, my knee's in a huge amount of pain every time I stand on it. It's hurting so much. Um, this is how, you know, I ran a marathon and, 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 it, and it's inflamed. And I have to put it up all the time. And you're saying, well, I actually think you should go and get it checked out. Well, if I take some medication and put it up, it's really okay. I think you should go and get it checked out. Well, you know what? I'll go and see someone who's a functional this or do something with that. No, you need to get an MRI on it. We need to know exactly what's going on with it. Could be a torn meniscus. It could be this, this, and this. So for me, often the question when you're observing avoidant behavior is whether to call it out, call it out, and how to call it out. And that's including with ourselves as well. Because sometimes when we're procrastinating is that, you know, it's you can actually see that it's bringing stuff up for you. And I think sometimes the procrastination is the distraction from what is coming up. Hmm. Because I think there is there, as you said, there's personality predisposition to Hmm. avoidance as well. Um, I think in some of the mental health diagnosis one of the very old class well not very old but older classifications called cluster c which put personality disorder so that's a dysfunction inside how someone's personality is working mm. in the interaction to the world and within themselves it mainly presents with anxious and social anxiety and there's seems to be an ongoing debate like is it truly an avoidance personality type or is that um social kind of social anxiety or aversion or almost anxiety disorder because a lot of the time it's about phobias avoidance they are really scared of something maybe it's logical illogical sometimes sometimes conflict avoidance where they want to um avoid um having um the feeling, sorry, um, feeling the feeling of unsettlements, the mm. feeling of unreconciled unre- uh, uh, with the, themselves, sometimes being hypersensitivity, sometimes self-deserting, sometimes cold, sometimes exploitative or exploitable. So mm. these are all the kind of predisposition where one way or another, they don't want to kind of face the social situations as it is. So that's why I, I when I was looking at that earlier, um, during the whole research I find it very interesting fascinating where how majorly anxiety is playing into our avoiding tactics so I, I like what you just said because you're posing a question and the question is quite interesting is 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 there actually an avoidant personality type because I know that there's lists of of these like um you know like you say a conflict avoidant or an anxious avoidant personality type and I think it's kind of the reason I find it interesting is that when you start to look at behavior so I was at a party the other day and in this party the the host was kind of interesting because she went around everywhere but actually she looked after everyone but actually avoided engaging with everyone she was almost had the party so that actually everyone could be present and enjoy themselves, but yet she didn't actually engage with anyone fully and used sort of the movement around there to almost in a way to avoid, oh, I've just got to make sure everyone's got a drink. Oh, I've just got to make sure all this is happening. This is happening. And so you've got this, this, this sort of anxiety, this anxious type. And 
to observe it is interesting, but it also it means that there isn't the capacity to hook in and have a relationship with her. You know, because almost she's using it as a way not to engage, not to have a relationship. But you'll find this with, with other type of relationships as well. But I, and I think that I like the conflict avoidant one because I think that's a very, very common one, especially with conflict that's appeared at a young age. Again, I've had numbers of different case studies with regard to people who become excessively avoidant when there are conflict situations. So some of them go quiet and sort of disappear off. So I know this young one young chap, and if there's any conflict going on in a household environment, he you just don't notice, but he just disappears. It's like he goes to the bathroom for about five hours. You know, he has a bath for, for the rest of the night. He he just disappears and just does this. And again, it's it's it could be classified as conflict avoidant, but actually it's because of what's happened much earlier in his life and he can't handle that idea of things then you've also got again within conflict avoidant you've then got this situation where you've got relationships between people as well and you've got that people will say absolutely anything not to have conflict and so there's an avoidance of the actual subject matter itself and the avoidance of actually communicating the emotions that one's feeling because you don't want to rock the boat, you want to please everyone. And I think that pleasing is also an avoidant personality type because it's not honest. Does that, do you, do you know what I mean by that? It, it's almost that you've, and, I, and I've, I've it, there's a number of different case studies that I've got of this where I've seen people and they want to desperately make someone happy. You know, they'll do anything for them. You know, they're my priority. I'll do anything for them. This is happening. And I'm just kind of going, well, where are you in this? You know, what, what what's going on with you in this? Because everything is pointing in that direction and you're really, there's an avoidance strategy in place. So with conflict and conflict avoidance, I find it hugely interesting because there's got to be triggers from the past within that. And also with anxious avoidance as well. I also think that is as well. I mean, there's a there was a client recently explained that they just started dating. It's interesting. I've got a lot of clients that are dating, um, and just just started dating. Sense of love. Yeah, exactly. Um, and she was trying to get a date with this one gentleman. And, you know, she kept messaging him, you know, are we are we going to hook up? Are we going to meet up? Are we going to, you know, I, I'm attracted to you. Let's let's hook up. And he's like, I'll get something, you know, I'll do it. I'll get it. You know, we'll, we'll find a time when we can do it. And then the next time they messaged, always kind of, you know, nice messages, but not actually committing to moving forwards. So for me, there's also within avoidance, there's something to do with commitment as well. You know, actually. Some, can someone commit is that what's going on with that commitment so for me vulnerability commitment having or the capacity to have a, a straight coherence of relationship all form part of this and when this isn't in place when there is some kind of and, and, and we're all of us every single one of us is damaged in one, in one way, way shape and form or the other all of us 
but quite often many avoidant people aren't aware that they're being avoidant they start to like you say stand for put excuses in place or and other things in place like they know they feel uncomfortable but almost in a way like they're doing something and it's not i don't think it's entirely conscious does that make sense i i agree it's not entirely conscious and most of the time it's actually quite subconscious Mm. I, I use the example of people pleasing. I, I think we talked about this before, and I think yeah, I believe we hold slightly different views because, as you said earlier on, you think like when people, you know, individual identify as being people pleasers, where are they in the situation? Mm. Whilst I think in my head, people pleaser is actually all about themselves <clears throat> because you actively want to please other people because you want to be perceived in a certain way. You want to be perceived in help, being helpful, being good, being nice, being likable, being, you know, um, sociable, helpful, whatever, you know, positive condemnation that you want to be associated with. And that, in some way, I'm not saying that people are not being authentic when they were trying to be helpful, but at some time, actually quite a few situations that I've seen in in the past, it's actually not the most authentic interaction that you can have but you instead of saying actually I'm really tired actually I have a lot in my, my plate actually I'm exhausted actually I'm already overwhelmed at the moment I can't help you despite of how much however much you means to me and I really want to instead of saying all these things that would have been an honest communication and interaction which is important in a relationship that mm. they the, the tendencies like actually you know what I put my needs um out of the window and I'll just people please but there is almost a like slight exchange where there's the gratification that I've done that so that I I I I I'm now can be perceived to be good and helpful and I think that's actually quite a lot of self-centering in that sort of interaction because at the end of it I think as we we've been saying actually it's very very protective you in some way or I, I think of a situation when I'm trying to people please is trying to kind of keep the vulnerable part of myself not being seen by other people and kind of keeping myself, giving myself a little bit of space away from other people so that I feel safer. And that's, I think, something very, very protective about avoidance. Because at, at the end of it, I think we started with that definition as well. It, it is an attempt to minimize and averting perceived threats and dangers. So it is about safety. When we don't feel safe, we want to avoid certain things. And we see that in medicine a lot as well, where we avoid things like when you have a severe allergy or anaphylactic shock, you'll be, you'll be told, please do not have that again. Like don't eat the peanuts or any nuts or anything that will cause the anaphylactic shock and allergies. If you have celiac, you've been avoid, you've been told to avoid certain things like gluten. Like in the in the space of pandemics, um, you've been uh, you've been told to go, you know go into lockdowns or going to wear your mask and social distancing or physical distance things, so you can avoid contracting certain danger. So I think so that's inherently is, some protectiveness about it. And this is useful. I'm sorry for interrupting, but this oh, is useful. Right. And what you've just defined is you define two roots of this. One is that actually avoidance in one way can be extremely hurtful. It can hurt yourself and you can hurt other people. So in a way, it, 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 it can be an exceptionally hurtful thing. On the other side of it, it can be extremely beneficial. Now, if I start to look at what a bit more about what yoga is saying about this, is that it, when we 
in, in some of the yoga texts, they look at this concept, which is the capacity to detach from something. So with the capacity to detach from something, it's to understand that actually what's happening is that we're attached to things that actually hurt us. And one strategy that we can put in place is avoidance, to begin to avoid. And one of the first steps to put in place to detach from something is avoidance. We have to avoid things like, okay, if you like chocolate, your cholesterol is very high, you're diabetic, I need you to avoid eating chocolate. You know, it, 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 it's, it's a very clear strategy, but it's it's also interesting when you're looking at things like alcohol, you know, and you look at, let's say, 12-step programs, and you look at different approaches to these things, the number one step to beginning to work with attachments is avoidance. So I feel that what you're saying here is that it, is that it falls on both sides, that what's happening is that it can be an ability. It can be a huge strength to avoid things because also avoidance is about navigation. It's about seeing the future as well and avoiding. And I like the way you used word preventing because actually you're preventing future issues from occurring by avoiding inevitable things from happening. And that for me is kind of interesting when we're looking at the concept of attachment. Another topic for A. Um, mm. <laughs> I think there's also time and place for avoidance as well. I think in, let's say in the in the time of grief, like we most of us have heard about the five stage in grief where denial is one of them. Mm. And denial inherently is, is, a, is a avoidance strategy where you, you don't, believe and I have a patient recently whose best friend unfortunately um took her own life four years ago and the experience of it was so traumatic where she will find any reason to not believe that her friend has passed mm-hmm. um she will say something like I I haven't seen the body I there is no gravestone there's no there's no specific specific place I can go back to visit my friend so I, in my head, I really believe that my friend is still around. She just gone away, run away for some bizarre reason and not contacted me for the last four years. And sometime if I go outside out the corner of my eye, I can almost see my friend still sitting there. And then I just double take and realize that's not true. The, the, she, she has good insights about that. She's stuck in this disbelieving. That's how she described it. I think disbelieving or denial stage. But I, at the same time, is think it's very, very protective again because I think accepting that the passing of her friend will be so overwhelming, both emotionally, psychologically, psychologically, and most likely even physically, for her, her body's inherently protecting herself. Um, isn't this? Isn't this where the trouble is? Because if you look at the grief process and grief has no time frame as we know it's got no time frame so you can't say that actually all of these stages are going to happen within i i spoke to someone yesterday whose father's just died and they were given two weeks off work and she was coming to the end of these two weeks and she was in tears and she just in the denial stage but also beginning to be angry as well 
and channeling the emotion that she was feeling into blaming lots of different people that could have done better with regard to what's happening. And in a way, when we're stuck in a stage, we actually avoid the pain of actually processing all of those things and coming to terms with things. So even though it's a protective mechanism, which avoids coming to a reality of something, the avoidance of actually processing it is actually worse because it keeps us stuck. Yes, and I think originally when the stages of five stages of grief was the sign it was meant to be for the person who is actually actively dying, it's not for the relative around them, because mm -hmm. for the person who is dying, they have a finite amount of, well, we all have a finite amount of time, but there's more defined finite amount of time so that they actually go through the stages more distinctively, whilst I think for people who are still living, you kind of keep going with the cycle. But in some way, that's interesting. You know, I like to draw on weird and wonderful readings that I do into our topics. And recently, I've been reading a lot about astrology. Mm. And just as I was coming to the to the webinars, thinking about actually retrograde, planet retrograde is actually or kind of like an avoidance in the planetary sense as well. Um, again, excuse me, I'm not a great astrologer, so if I get this wrong or explain this poorly, do, um, do accept my apologies. But I think what planet retrograde means is when, because planets and Earth orbit in a different sense, it's not completely parallel. So sometimes the planet seems to be moving slower or even backward when Earth is progressing forward. And what it meant, which I really, really love, is actually as pause, as a pause in the time where it's good time to review, to reflect, to redo, to revise, and to revisit certain things. And, and, and I quite like that in, in my own head, at least. Anyway, it makes sense in my head, where it almost like planetarily, astrology, uh, astrologically, is telling us that actually sometimes you can't always deal with the problem head on and straight on. You have to almost take a pause in some strange, bizarre way, pretend that it's not happening right now so that you can have create the capacity to then deal with it once time is right. I don't know how what you think about that. Well, I think your description of retrograde was, was very, really good. Um, and it, it's also about these two different speeds of things working and how one appears to be going backwards whilst the other one is going forwards, even though they're both traveling forwards. So I like, it's, it's, it's that kind of almost like on a train, you get that feeling that's happening. Yeah, where, where you don't know who's overtaking who and which speed anything's doing at. And so it's almost like a no man's land. The other interesting thing that I've seen is with very, very skilled people. Um, what I mean by skilled people is like, artists or musicians that have, have got to the head of their field or someone that has got to into the top of their area they tend to excel in one area and they've only excelled in that area because they've managed to they've avoided other areas of their life and it, it's interesting is that with this imbalance there's you excel in one area, but you actually have no capacity for any other area and you avoid that area entirely and completely. So there's a huge imbalance, but you're able to succeed at a very high level. And almost in a way that 
the art or the music or the skill that you are acquiring is an exaggeration, an exaggerated expression of human nature. And it means that with that exaggeration of expression in one direction of human nature, there is a compensating exaggeration of avoidance or denial in an opposite direction. And this is what I find incredibly interesting when, again, as a therapist, because if you're working with people that are very skilled in one area, you'll see that their ability to navigate something else or their willingness to navigate and engage with something else will be completely zero in another area. I don't know if that makes any sense. No, it, it makes a lot of sense. It's, I, I guess. I, yeah, it's, so, you know, I've, I've known numbers of musicians who are incredible with regard to performing music and being in front of people. But you put them in any type of relationship situation and they will destroy any boundaries that are put in place in front of them. They will actively avoid putting in place professional comfort. They will just push every single thing in every which way, shape and form. So there's success in one direction, but there is the avoidance of the mundane in another. That really reminds me of some of my lecturers and professors and tutors and some esteemed colleagues and supervisors that I met along my careers as well. Um, and I, I think I, again, now actually not to burst my own horn, but actually my my comparison of drawing parallels between to the retrograde actually do make sense. There seems to be a desynchronization between the rhythm of one's action or life, I guess, in some way or aspect of the life with the general aspect. But I got a question, which is, in some way, I can see that happening in kind of in the in the yoga, the modern yoga culture, where there's a lot of retreats happening. Well, I, I guess I shouldn't just say in the modern culture, because actually hermiting retreats has been a long tradition for many, many centuries, probably many long time, where it, it happens in Christianity, in Buddhism, in Hinduism, in Islamic, in Taoism. But you know, just say in a more modern example, retreat seems to be a really big thing, or even sometimes like very intense training course. Is, isn't that a little bit of avoidance as well? If someone was to observe, um, let's say the pattern of someone else, so you observe the pattern, the conversation, it can be strikingly obvious to someone else who's observing it that by keeping busy or by keeping on doing certain things, keeping on, keeping on, you actually, you're avoiding processing something or dealing with something head on. And so I see more and more, as you do, these strategies that are being put in place by people. And it, it, it's interesting is, is we use these excuses of, you know, I need to spend some time for myself. I need to do this. I need to do that. And all of it is avoidance about what really needs to happen. So quite often, uh, again, you find this at certain stages of relationships is that there needs to be a 
commitment into the relationship so that what's happening is the relationship can survive in the longer term. However, both parties start to be very comfortable in the directions that everything is going and take things for granted, which is, again, it's a, it's a, it's a narrative of a story. So they, they, there tend to be children involved and they both focus on the children rather than actually focusing on supporting each other within this. And they lead parallel lives. And then they get to a stage which becomes a cliche, which is where the children have left home and there's nothing to focus on and they have separate lives from each other. And so the avoidance strategies that have been put in place all the way through the relationship from the outset, the focus that's happened from the beginning and continued, which has been on other things and other people in order to entertain us, and we've gone together, hasn't worked. And there tends to be a lot of problems later on. And then people start to avoid those problems by going off and doing other things. I don't know, is this, this, this is a story of quite a number of people that find themselves in, in therapy. And sometimes I, I, I don't know, I find that in avoidance or in, by avoiding, there's also a really weird sense of having the space of observing other people and kind of taking pleasure out from it as well. And, and in some way that is almost like a, a weird sense of voyeurism. And again, I know we talked about this before where it's it's not actively participating in the in in the in the activities or actions or whatever it may be, but just sitting kind of slightly afar and just watching and kind of taking taking. I think pleasure may have been the wrong word, but I think taking the satisfaction that I almost feel like you're involved, almost like watching TV or watching a film happening, but you, you feel even more involved. And I'm not. I'm I'm using the word voyeurism not in the sense of the kind of the sexual offence acts 2003 sense, not not about only about sexual pleasure, but I'm using it in the sense where kind of by avoiding being actively participating in the activity, but at the same time you're still connecting to it because that is what a lot of people see, or at least people that I observe have been doing. Um, they 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 still maintain some distance away from the things that they're avoiding, but thinking, oh, but I'm watching so someone's doing it. Um, in some sense, oh, I can feel like I'm living through them. That that's that sense as well. So what what you're looking at is not is not honest participation. So almost there is, I was there, but I wasn't there. And so in, in this sense, you've got avoidance, which is to say, I'm present, I'm in the room, I'm there, but I'm actually, I'm not really engaged 100% with people. And again, it's a strategy. Hmm. It, it, it starts to beg a, a number of questions because what can we do about this? Because avoidance in itself is it's to do with aversion. It's to do with the fact that I don't like something, I don't want something. So it's it's actually inherent in human nature. Do you see what I mean? It's something that's inherently part of human nature. You know, I don't want something, I don't like something, I avoid it. You know, you've mentioned it with food in its simplest way, is that it doesn't agree with me. I wish more people would understand that alcohol didn't agree with them and they would avoid it, but they don't. They, they seem to be attracted to it for some unknown reason. Um, so 
it's it's inherent in human nature it can be a curse or it can be a blessing so it could be that what's happening is that you have a feeling so i spoke to a lady today who believe it or not is also trying to date and i know there's a thing going on here isn't there um exactly um and she was very very smart because she said i met this guy and so bizarre but he gives me the same feeling as my ex-boyfriend i'm going to avoid him and i said you're so clever and you're so wise because you're actually trusting your feelings in this way and she talked a little bit more about him and she said you're completely right he's exactly the same as my ex-boyfriend looks different but he's the same and i'm trusting my feelings to avoid and so in a way it can be a real blessing it can be a superpower the capacity to be able to trust a feeling on a situation and then use a strategy or approach to actually avoid getting yourself into trouble so really super clever but it can also be a very very damaging for us where let's say what happens is you get an opportunity an opportunity let's say to present or to do something but instead of actually facing the courage or finding the courage to face the fear to reply to an email or to make a call to say yeah i'll do it and then freak out about it you avoid the whole thing and avoid the whole thing so finally when you make the call you go oh we filled the space maybe next time and then you kind of sit there and go oh yeah well you know at least i made the call anyway yeah so it was really good and you create these different does that do you know what i mean by that so yeah. it means that what starts to happen is that we start to see lots of different behaviors associated with this technique and i think that it's it is an inherent inherent part of nature it's an inherent part of being human and i think that the first step for me is always about the awareness of our own behavior and quite often it's to when we have a feeling it's to ask a question you know a, a question when we're engaged with someone when we're being with someone you know why is it that i'm not making that call or i'm not kind of going having that feeling that i want to say something or do something but yeah i don't do it i avoid doing it like saying hey i'm having a really good evening with you and i'm really enjoying your company and actually by saying that does that mean that i'm vulnerable does it mean that i am um, expose myself does it mean that i will get hurt you know so I, I think the the first thing for me is the is the awareness of our interaction and the feelings that we've got in that interaction with ourselves And the next thing is that I was talking to a, someone else earlier today um, who has had parents that were always avoidant of her. And what it did is it, it made her, and she's in her 60s, it made her um, want to kind of be the good little girl all the time. And when we want to take a role i think there is also this that we need to take into account as well when we also want to slip into a role what are we actually avoiding doing 
because I think that's the next thing is that, that you know that feeling where you drop into a role you kind of like oh I'll go and do you know you just sort of you drop in and you just you take that I, I'm a you're avoiding something do, do, do you see what I mean so so there becomes a sort of signal for each of us when we're, we're a part of this where what you know what's going on for us And I, I guess the next step is maybe slowly working towards stopping avoid, well, avoiding avoiding, or working towards not being afraid or anxious about the perceived threats and dangers. And actually, maybe in some way means that the avoidance strategy is no longer needed. But is it no longer needed? Or is it that actually what's happening is that because this this is the interesting thing. I like what you just said there. Because the awareness of the avoidance strategy is quite clever. You kind of you're aware of that, and you suddenly go, "Oh my god, I'm being avoidant. I'm actually avoiding doing this." And then suddenly you go, "I'm going to say yes," and then you say yes to absolutely everything, and then you kind of wish you hadn't said yes to absolutely everything. And so you have to go. This is this is interesting. This is for me the second chapter of Yoga Sutra is that you're you kind of you you when you realize you're in one place, you go straight to another place in the opposite direction as fast as possible. And then you kind of realize that didn't work. So you give up and you go right the way back to where you were again. Then you realize that didn't work and go right the way back. So do, so what's happening is I need to be able to find some middle ground, which is that actually. The avoidance strategy and the avoidance technique that I use, whether it's a distraction technique and distraction techniques are beautiful for avoidance. You know, they're kind of like, oh, look over there. You don't have to do anything. They just kind of, oh, it's over there. Um, but what it does is it gives you some time and space to evaluate whether the strategy you're putting in place is relevant because you're conscious of it now for the situation you've got. And I think that is the next step because it, it's to do with firstly you're being aware of it. Then you start to be aware that you're going to an extreme, which is that you're kind of engaging with your avoidance strategy head on. And you're kind of like going, I can fix this. And actually, sometimes it doesn't need to be fixed. It doesn't need to be changed. Sometimes it's actually very valid and it's actually a good mechanism that can actually protect you. And you need to trust it. And other times it's there because it's kind of going, I'm really frightened. I don't want to go with this. No. And you actually need to get your butt kicked. But it's, does that, do you see what I mean, Stanford? Yeah, when you say all that, I, the, the real example that I always think of is, um, you know, in dry, dry January, because I have a few clients where, so I probably have gone done a little bit too much over the holiday period or last year, or I don't know, the lockdown. Okay, so this January, I'm going to not drink anything, not drink alcohol, since you brought alcohol up as, up as a topic. Mm. And I worked with a few people where it's like, okay, for the first month, for, for the whole month, it's going to be dry January. And then it lasts for maybe two weeks, maybe three weeks, maybe four weeks. And they're, oh, this is great. I'm getting new insights. Just like it says, like recognize the problem, aware of the problem. Okay, I'm going to stop it altogether. Mm-hmm. And then more often than not, when I see happen is, and then, you know, time period, the time frame they, they set for themselves has passed. Or maybe January has passed or two weeks has gone. And then they start drinking again. Then there's this rebound effect. It's all this aura of nothing. It's like suddenly they got hammered. Suddenly they get, you know, really, really bad hangover, hangover the day after again. And there is this, exactly as you said, where it's either all or nothing or both extremes, where actually, maybe actually you don't need to stop it entirely. Maybe it's the, 
learning to find a better relationship with what is happening inside and really recognizing what is why is the mechanism in place and how can you have a slightly healthier or what you think is a healthier relationship with the things that you're avoiding what do you think about reflecting on so once you've began to understand the that you are being avoidant or you're working or let's say you're engaged with someone that is avoidant and then you begin to unpick the situation a little so you start to understand the causes of the avoidance strategy you start to be aware of it understand the causes a little bit more there needs to be some steps to be put in place I think that's the key thing is the steps and the tools that are put in place. I think that if let's say you've got a conflict avoidance person, the worst thing that you can do is sort of go up to them and go, look, you're being bloody avoidant. I need you to do this, this, and this. It's actually, there's got to be some steps in place to actually confront someone or yourself on that. So that what's happening is that it becomes a comfortable transition from that situation into another world. I think what you said earlier on about having that intuitions, kind of that inner wisdom is very, very important because I, my my view on reflection is there is reflection and there's reflection. Mm. Sometimes, because in, in my job, a lot of the time we've been told that we need to do reflection, which I'm sure most people in their career have been told to do as well. And there are, there are the type of reflection where you're kind of doing it for your homework. It's like, oh, I'm doing this because I've been told I need to do five reflections a year. And here they are. And these are things I could have done better. This is an effect where I, I wouldn't say they're not honest, but the, I will use the word they're, they're not most authentic, where they kind of like, well, I, I didn't want to do that because I was tired. Those are not the things that you want to write on your job report. No, I agree with you. I agree wholeheartedly because I think the word reflection it is in, in yoga sense it's a form of meditation, which means it's the capacity to observe something without making any judgment at all with it. It's the capacity to walk around something and see it from not just your perspective, but another person's perspective and make no judgment on it. It's the capacity to look at the dynamics of the relationship and the scenario, not just from your perspective, someone else's perspective, but also from the outside perspective of that as well. And this is a reflective practice that's given in the second chapter of Yoga Sutra, is how does one do that without thinking, but just by observing. And so when someone turns around and says, you need to go and reflect on it, I think that's quite passive aggressive, you know, in a way. It doesn't, it, it comes, just in a minute, it's, it's coming across in, in the wrong way, but actually the terminology of reflection within a meditative sense, I kind of really understand. Yeah. Thank you. For that's in action as well, where I, I was um, seeing a client recently where a, a young girl is involved, where because the, the, within the family structure, there's a the solution of the family structure, there's a divorce involved. And then the young girl, understandably, got quite angry. And I think that there was a lot of talk about oh, how we can make it better, how we can make it easier more adaptable and we can avoid provoking the girl was actually in some way after chatting for a little bit with my client we realized actually it is in it is in a situation where 
it's understandable that she's angry, you know, all of a sudden the, the family structure that she's used to or the home that she's used to has changed. And we know most people is not good with change. And I think that the person involved definitely wasn't the best person with change, most adapted to change. And it's reasonable, reasonable that she's angry. And actually, maybe one part of the solution is to find ways that she can express her anger instead of avoiding provoking her is actually how to channel those anger, how she can express her anger in a healthy way. So that there, there is that intuition where is that we are avoiding things because we don't want to deal with them or is that intuition is actually, well, that that is the situation and we kind of need to hit, hit with it straight head on. The hitting it head on, I think works in some situations very, very well because actually it's calling, it calls it out in the way that it should need to be called out. And you're calling it out in order to create a new route with regard to the behavior, which says, I see you, I know what you're doing. No one else is going to tell you that this apart from me. And, you know, other people will accept it, but I'm not accepting it. And I'm not angry about it, but I'm helping you so that you don't behave in the way that you're behaving because it is being avoidant. So I like this. And other people, I, I, I do quite a lot of work with addiction. And you'll find that there is, in that area, there's a huge amount of this strategy, avoidance strategy being put into place with regard to different techniques. So not, not showing up for meetings or putting excuses into place or, you know, making a distraction, which is like, oh my goodness, we had to go and do this, this and this, or a drama where someone pulls a pin out of a grenade, throws it in a room, there's a big explosion, there's a big drama, and all of it is actually avoidant to, you know, um, you know, this has happened and I've got to go and do this over here and that over there, and all of it is avoidant. And the difficulty is, is, is that if you call it out, and say, look, you're being avoidant, then there's a runaway aspect to it. Someone runs away. Sometimes if what you're doing is you are too confrontational and direct with regard to the strategy. Does that, do you? Yeah. And I think you, any therapist will see a lot as well where your clients kind of change the appointment dates and time very last minute or doesn't turn up at all. And yeah, you're right. I think those are the situations when you can just sit back and recognize it and you may talk about it in your supervision, in your group session with your colleagues. But actually, most of the time, it might not be the most suitable, at least not in the next session, you call those out. Maybe further down the line that you can create space to reflect on, actually reflecting on what has been happening in the past. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's sometimes especially so directly, so straight after the situation is not the best opportunity to call it out as well. And I, I've got a, a colleague of mine who's going through therapy at the moment for, um, he gets quite angry and he's going through this therapy and he, at his office, he was, they'd just taken a whole load of Ukrainian um, employees on board so they'd moved them over from Ukraine and he was integrating them into his organization. And so he was 10 minutes late for his therapy session and his therapist canceled the session and said, you know, you need to 
be on time. You need to do this. You need to do that. He said at that moment, I lost faith in the process. So I think as a therapist or as someone involved in these processes, we need to understand and really, like you said, just take some space and some time, be there for people, understand whether there is an avoidant mechanism in place that's deliberate or whether it may be that actually it's just circumstance. To understand whether something is conscious or whether something is unconscious, to see whether it is deliberate, whether it's an inherent part of a behavior or is it something that we've just interpreted as being avoidant? And it could be our projection based on our experience of avoidance in the past. Um, Stanford, I've got some really bad news. We have avoided for one hour. Have I been successful in convincing you why I'm avoiding? You haven't even answered one question. You've <laughs> done so well all day. I love it. <laughs> Mission accomplished. <laughs> You're so good. <laughs> it's, well. it's, it's interesting. Isn't isn't um isn't giving compliments a, a way of also avoiding as well because you can use it as a strategy. Oh, absolutely. Stanford, you are you are amazing today. You are unbelievably incredible. You too, Colin. You were amazing. Also, thank you. <laughs> uh, it's interesting. So you start to see these lots and lots of different things. It's it's uh, it's really interesting. Really, really interesting. Cool. It's good to see you. And um, yeah, looking forward to seeing everyone in in a couple of weeks' time when I think we'll be discussing some kind of surprise subject matter. Absolutely. <laughs> See you soon. Brilliant. Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Um, really enjoyed this evening. Um, and I hopefully you, you got the same sense that we did, that avoidance is not just a something that is a difficult subject matter, hurtful to us, but it also can be a benefit as well. And it just depends how it's employed and how it's used. Thank you so much.